this morning. We're in Malachi, so take your Bibles, your phones, whatever, open up to that. We're in the book of Malachi. Uh, but this message needs a couple of qualifiers, right, before we go into it, because it's, so, it's just got the potential to go completely sideways. So if you're brand new this morning, all right, and you walked into Northview for the very first time, and you said to yourself, I sure hope they don't talk about money. <laughs> Guess what? You hit the nail right on the head. You just have happened to come on the one Sunday we're talking about it because it's in the passages we're covering in Malachi today. Lucky, lucky you. All right. Uh, secondly, most of these verses uh, over the years have been used as a guilt-inducing rhetoric for one to feel guilty so that they give more money to the church. Uh, that's not the goal of the message this morning at all. You just need to know that. It's about honoring God and not cheating or defrauding Him. So that's the angle we're going to be coming from. A couple of things that you need to know. We're ahead of budget. All right? So this is not a plea. We've desperately got to catch up with the last year. Could you help us reach the goal? You know, No, we're good. All right? We're ahead of budget. And uh, you as a group, I, I just have to say, are an incredibly grateful bunch. And as a result, you're an incredibly generous bunch. And um, it is a, you are a fantastic church to pastor because of that. Many of you give not just generously, uh, but sacrificially and over the years. And it's just deeply appreciated. Besides tithing, you support many missions, hope overflowing, the Hardaways heading to Papua New Guinea, step by step, the thank offering, uh, many other kingdom causes. By the way, I talked to Emmanuel on the phone this week, Emmanuel and Grace, and they said to say hi and send their love. And uh, they're doing well in their new setting and their new ministry. And so they thanked us for supporting them and, and praying for them as well. Also, remember that Malachi specifically really comes from the angle of what it looks like from God's perspective, not ours. There's a lot of books in the Bible where it's either from our perspective or here's the opinion or this kind of stuff, but Malachi really comes from how God's looking at it. And we can learn a lot by watching... Uh, what others have done wrong, and then avoiding their mistakes. This is called wisdom, right? And so I might pick up some wisdom this morning. And lastly, here's the deal. This message may be timely and pinpoint accurate for some of you today. And if it is, then if the old saying is, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? Applies. If you're cheating, cutting corners, or keeping for yourself what's supposed to be God's, then the admonition will be to repent. Course correct. Get yourself lined up in an obedient, right, and honoring way with the Lord. You should not hear this as coming from me, but rather coming from your Father in heaven. Okay? It's He who we'll answer to, not myself. All right. So, with those qualifiers and all that, let's pray this morning and then we'll get started. Father, we uh, stand in the gap with those who, uh, many, hundreds, thousands right now, are evacuated. Uh, can't get back to the home and pretty sure there won't be anything left when they do get back to it. I know the winds are supposed to kick up hugely right now uh, as we're standing here, as I'm standing here, as we're sitting here in the auditorium. Uh, we pray for mercy on that, Lord. We ask for wisdom for those who are fighting the fires. And Lord, we pray that area uh, was rattled and shook with the shootings this week and people are reeling as a result of it and uh, Lord, uh, our country needs to repent. 
Our country needs to turn. You're giving ample warning and we're not doing it. We're missing the bigger issue. So Lord, we pray that you would bring about a revival. We'd ask that you would spark something that would turn a corner in our country and turn our country back to you. And we give all of this, Lord, in the context of Malachi, your heart, what it looks like from your side as we go into this this morning and ask for your favor in this in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, let's get going here. Oh, Oh, I have no back screen. Oh, no back screen. All right. All right, well, let's do just a review just for us to catch up here and have to look here. But um, they were, uh, when we come to Malachi, what we find out, especially the Levites, they were cheating. They were cutting corners. They were keeping for themselves what was supposed to be God's. And so God in chapters 1 and 2 that we've just gone through really uh, goes after that. They were watching others who weren't honoring God. And not only were they not honoring God, but they were getting away with it and prospering. Any of you ever watch the people around you and like they're doing stuff and it's shady and crooked, but they're getting ahead? And you're like, wow, it's not fair. You know, you'd say to God, shut them down. And it just seems like they get away with it. And then for the Israelites in their greed and covetousness, they were divorcing their wives and marrying foreign women. And as a result, they were worshiping their false gods. And so this polluting effect came into the culture. And, um, and then lastly, Malachi says that the Lord will return. There we go. That the Lord will return to judge such things. But when he comes, he will be like a refiner's fire. We, we walked through this last week, what a refiner's fire looks like. You can go to our website, download that message, and uh, see what we covered. But uh, the question was, who will be able to stand when he returns. All right? And we talked about that. So now we're going to go continue to Malachi chapter 3, and it reads like this, verses 6 and 7. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Here the implicit charge of who is doing the changing is addressed. In other words, there's an argument going on here between the people and God. God is saying, you need to return to me. And they're saying, well, how come you aren't doing the things you always promised you were supposed to do for us? That's the backdrop of it, right? So when God says, hey, I need you to return to me, they're saying, no, you need to return to us. You need to start working like in the days of old and help us again. And so there's, a, there's a, a, a conflict going on here. And God pointedly states that it's not him who shifted and drifted. Right? It's because he is faithful and steadfast that they were not destroyed. Yeah, yeah, it's up there. You know, that's as true for us today as it was for them back then. It's not God who shifted, right? Uh, it's us. He is a covenant-keeping God, and they were not holding up their end of the bargain. And as a result, they found themselves far, far away from him relationally. There wasn't the connect that they thought should be there and what should happen. You know, and the question is often stated in another way, and it goes like this. If you and God are far apart, who moved? We often accuse God of moving, but the truth is we've 
shifted. We've slid. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. God clearly points out that it was they who had drifted. He says it this way, from the days of your fathers. So he says it wasn't just you, but there's been a slide going on all along this whole thing from the beginning of the desert wanderings all the way now to Malachi, which is basically the most of the Old Testament. And this has been happening the whole time. It says, you, you, you've turned aside from my statutes, you've not kept them. And it was they who had wandered. And like any good parent, God is going to say to them, come back, right? Come back, turn to me. Now, like anybody, when you come back, you recognize that you have to come back on his terms. I remember one time we were driving down 132nd, heading towards the house, and Kayla and Kinsey were in the back of the car. And they were younger, uh, I forget what age they were, but they were quite a bit younger. And, and they were talking, and something on the radio kicked up some discussion about rebellion. And, um, and so Kinsey says, Dad, Dad, what would you do if, if we were really rebellious? Right, Kayla? Yeah, 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 we're, we're really rebellious. What would you do? I said, oh, well, what would really rebellious look like? Oh, I don't care. Yeah, what's really rebellious? I don't, I don't, I don't, we don't know, but, but if we were, what would it look like? What, what would you do? I said, oh, that'd be easy. I said, I'd love you. I'd hug you. I'd hand you $200. They say, the world looks so good to you. Here you go. Have at it. Out the door you go. Said, if you want to come back, you're always welcome back. But when you come back, you come back under the rules of our home. If you don't want to come back under the rules of our home, then you can stay out there. And you can have that world, that rebellion that you think looks so good. And they went, yep, that's what he'd say. Okay. <laughs> you know, God's saying the same thing here. If you want to go out and launch in the world and go grab all this stuff, go at it. Go have it. He says, but if you want to come back, please come back, return to me. But when you come back, recognize you come back under my rules. You come under my house. You come into my rules. This is the tone of what, what's gone. It's come back, return to me. And their response was, how? Okay, now, they're saying, how shall we return? And it's kind of a cynical rejoinder here. It's kind of like, almost on the level of, oh man, not this again. I mean, really? Back to God? Oh. You know, and here's why. They were extremely compromised. Uh, they, they, they had a bunch of things in the pot. They had foreign wives that they'd have to divorce, and, and much of their money was going to the foreign gods and foreign worships and building of those temples instead of keeping the temple of the Lord. Uh, the truth is it was incredibly inconvenient for them to return, they were hugely invested in things they were pursuing. They had a lot of emotional collateral tied up in their idolatry. Repentance would not only be painful, but costly. So, it wasn't that they didn't know what to do. They just didn't want to do it. I think we can all relate to this. Let me show you what this looks like. If you look up here on the screen, this is kind of a continuum, right? You can see on... Your left side there, you have all the good terms, obey and light and life. And on the, left, on the right side, you have disobey, dark and death. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he draws a line, right? The Holy Spirit is not a line, but he draws a line. And he says, you know what? All this stuff underneath the line, you can't do anymore. That's, that's off limits. 
And there's a lot of stuff above the line we'll get to, but you don't have to worry about it right now because we'll get to that. And if we decide with God that we'll jump back across that line, we call that sin, missing the mark. We're doing something wrong. We're, we're breaking the covenant that we made with God, that we agreed with God. When we want to get right, what we have to do is we have to repent. We have to turn around. We have to actually admit we're wrong. We have to change our thinking, think the way God thinks. By the way, that's why you read the Bible. You read the Bible so that you think like God thinks. You understand what he's talking about. You get the categories that he brings up and you go, oh, that's why he says that. And so we make a habit of it here. And by the way, we'll come up first year again. Uh, and many of us are now sweeping and finishing reading through the Bible. I want to encourage you again. We'll read through it next year and, uh, and do it again. But we repent and we get back on the right side of the line. Now, God, as any good parent or any good dad, later on what he does is he backs the line up, right? And usually he'll back it right over one or two things we still want to hold on to. You ever had that happen to you? Right? Oh, man. When, when you want to be right with God, can you take that thing, stick it in your back pocket, scoot across the line, go, hey, we're cool, right? No, no, no. What's that in your back pocket? Nothing. No, no, no. It's nothing. Uh, what's in your back pocket, right? And so the same process. If, if we jump across and keep that thing or jump across and grab it again, that's called sin. To get right with God, we've got to repent. We've got to come back to where God drew the line, not where we drew the line. Because the problem when we draw the line is this. When we draw the line, we'll draw a line, then we'll draw another line, then we'll draw another line, then we'll draw another line. And after a while, we forget where the first line even was. We can't find it. So we have to let God draw the lines. Now here's where they were. They were in this kind of compromised position. They not only went across the dotted line, they were all the way back over way before when God first saved them as a nation, and they were doing the things that they were doing before the Lord had actually rescued them. They had gone back to basically the pagan ways. They had gone back to life without God. And we're just going to run it. And we're just going to do it. And so for them, repentance meant not just coming across the line, but they had to come all the way across back to the dotted line. Can you see why that was hard for them? Have any of you ever thought of that and looked back and went, oh, it's going to be such an effort. Right? Oh my gosh, am I, am I even able to do that? And God says, well, here's the situation. Here's what's really wrong. He says, you're robbing me. He says, will a man rob God? And yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? You notice how they're always coming back with a question? Like, really clueless. Like, they ask how through this whole book. Like, they have no clue. And it says, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You ever been called a thief? Ever stolen something? Taken something that wasn't yours? This is what God's calling them. Robber. Probably the word that sticks more with us is thief. You're a bunch of thieves. That's a little more clear, isn't it? How? By withholding their tithes and contributions. Now, what's the big idea behind this? We have to look at this a little bit. So the tithe idea first shows up with Abraham in the wars uh, with the kings when they had captured his nephew Lot. You have to go back to the book of Genesis for this. And they, there's this, they come and they steal Lot and then Abraham goes after him, he conquers him. And then Abraham comes back uh, and he's returning. And he runs into this guy named Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek is called the high priest of the Lord. He comes out, he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils from the campaign. Let me put it here. This is from Genesis 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed them and he said, Blessed be Abram. This is before Abraham was even Abraham. This is he's Abram, right? By God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And be blessed by God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And this is where Malachi is getting the principle. Remember we said that an offering to God has to be the first and the best, right? Not the last and the worst. And that's what they were doing in the book of Malachi. They were, given, they were cheating. They were giving the spotted and the, the, the crippled and the lame and the, and the grungy. And the, they were, you know, it's good enough for God because it's going to get burnt up anyways. Who cares, right? And so Abraham set the precedent of this in this when he came back in Melchizedek and his offerings is that he gave the best in the first and he set the standard of giving 10%. It says here that he delivered uh, your enemies into your hands and Abraham, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. When it goes on to this, it says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And it's drawing here, if we go to Hebrews 7, here, it says, it's beyond dispute that the inferior, that is Abram, was blessed by the superior, that is Melchizedek. So look at what this is saying here. Those of us who have some Bible background, this is fascinating. It's saying Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Now stop and think about that. There are not too many people that rank above Abraham, right? In the history of the world, let alone the history of faith. It says, in one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met, met him. This last verse is very important in the unfolding of the law and the Levitical priesthood because it informs us that tithes were paid through the agency of a great-great-grandfather, right? Levi is way down the chain from Abraham. And so it's saying that because Abraham paid tithes, he actually paid tithes, and now he receives tithes. The last verse is very important in unfolding the law and the Levitical priesthood because it informs us that tithes were paid through the agency of a great-great-grandfather, which then leads us to the Levitical law in the book of Numbers. So now we'll jump to Numbers. Look at Numbers 18. It says, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service of the tent of the meeting. And if you go a little later to verse 24, sure, I got that right up there. It says, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. And therefore I have said of them, they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. So here was the standard. When they came into the promised land, all the tribes were given allotments of land, except one tribe, Levi. Levi was not allowed to have any inheritance. Levi was to be stationed in certain cities, and then by lot they were to come and serve first at the tabernacle, and then later at the temple. 
And so the Levites, because of their service uh, for the tabernacle and then later the temple, would receive the first and the best of 10% of the crops and gifts that came from the working of the land. And that's how God sustained them. They were to trust in the giving of tithes so that they would be freed up to take care of the temple. Now the question comes this morning, okay, that's all history, so if you've lost on that, that's fine. But it gets to this point. What happens if the tithe doesn't come in? You ever thought of that? Well, at first they'd keep serving, right? But then eventually they would be saying to themselves, you know, man, this is a raw deal. We're serving God, we can barely eat. This is ridiculous. I mean, these other people aren't even serving God and they're prospering and getting ahead. We can't, we can't even eat. This is a ripoff. And so they got bitter and they got covetous and they got envy. Look at how everybody else is getting ahead while we languish. Can't you just hear that? We're languishing by God. Oh, the drama. Well, you guys are not awake this morning. Hello. Wake up here. Here we go. God, what they're saying is God isn't very good at taking care of his people. We better take things into our own hands. So the people didn't tithe and the Levites didn't serve. And who's getting ripped off in the process? God. And God is letting them know how it feels to them. Look again at, those, look again at these words now with that in lesson here. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? Well, in tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God says that they were cheating. They were cutting corners, and you're keeping for yourselves what is rightfully and truly mine. And the result of it, what does it say? You're cursed. That's a bad deal when God says you're cursed. It's not good. And he says, not the whole lot of you. Right? Notice that in that. The whole lot of you are cursed. So the question would be, well, how are we doing in comparison to that? Right? Uh, this is off a of Barna Research website. The numbers are a little old, but they convey the general idea. It says, if Americans who identify with the histor- historicity or historically Christian church had chosen to give 10% of their Uh, 10% to their congregation in 2008. So this is 10 years ago, 2008. Rather than the 2.43% given that year, there would have been an additional $172 billion available for the Lord's work through the church. This is from the Empty Tomb website. Let me read that again. If Americans who identify with the historically Christian church had chosen to give 10% to their congregation, this is in 2008, rather than the 2.43% given that year, there would have been an additional $172 billion available for the Lord's work. Stop and think about that for a second. $172 billion. Do you think that would have made a difference in some of the ministries we have? You know, in Ensenada and 
Africa and you know, hope overflowing and all those kind of things. Do you think that would make a difference? It would really make a difference. That's where God comes across and says, you don't understand, you are ripping things off. It's not available. And God's point is this, you're not only going to lose what you've taken from me, but you're going to lose also what you have. Look at, uh, look at the book of Haggai here. says, Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, it's falling right out the bottom as fast as you put it in. This is actually where we get the saying, my money is burning a hole in my pocket. Right? That comes from Haggai. Did you know that? Right? As fast as I shove it in my pocket, it's falling through the holes in the bottom and it's, it's going out the other end. You ever felt that way? Like you're working for nothing? Like, man, I'm just working and it's going out faster than I can put it in and like, this is ridiculous. It just seems to slip through my fingers and is gone before I can, can spend it. And in this, God offers an out. A redo, so to speak. A way back. How? Look at, look at Malachi, what he says here in, in verse 10. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. How does this actually work? Okay. Well, here's how this works. God knows our hearts and God knows that our hearts follow what we love or what we're interested in, right? If you have a hobby, right, your heart is invested in that hobby and your pocketbook follows the interest. God knows that. We invest uh, in what we're interested in because we're drawn to it. You know, the old saying was, uh, show me your checkbook and I'll show you what you love. Nowadays, kids go, what's a checkbook? Right? But the principle's still there. We have ways of where, places where our money sits. And if you look at the, the registration of it and where it went out, you can tell what matters to somebody. You can tell where their investment was. But it's also equally true that if I start to invest in something, it becomes something that I love. Right? I may have never had an interest in that in the past, but I start giving to it and the next thing I know I'm all cut up in it and then I go visit it and then I, I actually end up my serving in an area like that. How in the world did I get from not caring at all to I'm going to another country to serve? Well, I started investing in it and my heart started following where my money went and I found myself there. And what God's saying here is reinvest in me. Reinvest in me. He's saying to the Israelites, look, I know, okay, you're robbing, you're ripping me off, but here's the deal. Come back to me. Reinvest in me and I will turn you around as a nation. Now why is that significant for us? Because the, series of, the title of this series is When the Lights Went Out. Okay? Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's followed by 400 years of what's known as the 400 years of silence. Why? Because they didn't turn. They didn't turn. They didn't listen. They didn't give. 
They just went quiet and went their way. And as a result, you don't hear anything again until this guy named John the Baptist shows up 400 years later where God begins a new work with another group of people. God is saying, reinvest in me. He says, because if you do, your heart will turn back to me and we'll be in relationship again. It also reveals another principle that's very important. Uh, Stanley Kans is the guy who led me to Christ. Wonderful, wonderful dude. About 6'8", about uh, 300 pounds. Big man. Had mallets of a hand. Just take your head and, you know, like a grapefruit. And, uh, And so he sat me down when I first gave my life to Christ and that crazy story I told you at Church in the Park. Um, He said, Steve, I want to teach you a very important principle. All right? So he laid down a dime. He said, Steve, how much is a tithe of a dime? I said, well, I think it's a penny. Right? I had a Catholic background. I had enough knowledge to at least know what that was. Right? So then he laid down a dollar. He said, well, how much would a tithe of a dollar be? So, well, 10 cents. Then he laid down a $10, right? Dollar, right? And then... He says, well, I don't have $100, but if I had $100, what would that be? And he goes, well, that's, you know, 10 bucks. And if I had 1000 bucks, well, that'd be 100 bucks. And if I had 10000 right? And he just went down the... When he got done, he says, he says, now that's the legal requirement. He says, here's the deal. Always give just a little bit more so that you know you love them, not because you had to. And he said, here's the principle, Steve. He says, you might think about that's money you could have spent, but here's the principle I want you to remember. You can never outgive God. He says, Steve, no matter what you go through, no matter what you hit, no matter where you go in life, if you stay faithful in tithing, you can never outgive God. He will give more back to you than you ever gave to Him. And that is phenomenally true, not only in my life, but my family's life. Right? God has given us phenomenally more than we've ever given to Him. And so, uh, give a little bit more to show that you love Him, not because you have to. I, I remember His words sitting there, we were in the coffee uh, room of the Lake to Lake Dairy Factory when he did that with me. Okay. By the way, if you don't know that story, uh, go to August 19th, Summer Sunday Church in the Park, and uh, you can hear my testimony there. Malachi goes on to say this. Why? Because he says, if you turn back to me, if you faithfully give back to me, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that... It will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Many of us know this truth, right? Many of us are living testimonies of God expanding our resources. There are miracle stories in this room of we don't know how we made it through that era. We have no ideas. We added the math up. We shouldn't have been able to make it and we made it. We, God somehow got us through that and we don't even know how. And, and that's what uh, this is saying right here. We, we've given away and more's come in. Not in a, a prosperity gospel sense, right? Like if I give away, I'm going to get rid. No, but in the sense that if I honor God, God will honor me and he will meet the need. And in the sense of these verses, the devourer will be rebuked. Uh, Pam and I had the chance, many of you know, we went on a a trip this summer. A friend gifted us a trip, and uh, we were on a 147-foot yacht and sailing in the Mediterranean. It was stupid good, okay? Just stupid good, trust me. And uh, 
I said, I've never gone uh, barefoot so much in my life, just these gorgeous teak decks and walking. The only time I wore shoes was when we went into town, right? It was just absolutely fabulous. Well, we got news uh, last week. They sent us a picture, and the boat we were on caught fire in port and went up in flames. Yeah, and I, I was going to shoot the picture, but I, I didn't get it up on the... It's, it just destroyed. See, we can put our stuff in, but what, it burns. This stuff does not last. That home, that car, that... I mean, think of the people in California right now. Town of Paradise is gone. Well, there's nothing left, okay? The big homes in Malibu, the Hollywood stars, the, yeah, that's right now facing imminent immolation, Okay? The stuff burns. The destroyer will destroy. And so God's saying, hey, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So here's some principles. Right? Let's pull some principles from this that we can walk through together this morning. Number one, all wealth comes from God. If you're sitting here this morning and you think you're daddy big britches because you've got some shekels in the bank and you think you've been really clever and really hot stuff, humble yourself. Okay? Because the wealth didn't come from you. All wealth comes from God. God creates those opportunities. He creates those opportunities. for He gives some more to some, less to others, but we're all supposed to be responsible for what He gave. Right? And so all wealth comes from God. Point number two. Those who know God should honor God. Okay? This morning, I don't know if you give or not, but God does. He knows. As sure as we're sitting here watching, it's not hidden from Him. And so if we want to honor God, you need to give to God, right? If you don't like Northview, you say, Steve, you're a gunky. I've never given you a nickel. Fine, go find another ministry. Go find a missions to give it to, okay? I don't want your money. I don't need your money. You're not making Steve rich, okay? But it's an issue of honoring God. Those who know God should honor God. Number three, this is equally important. We, when we honor God, we honor God by giving Him the first and the best. means if you get a check and you get a check for $40,000 because you just worked your tail off this week and your boss came and you said, you are the most incredible employee I've ever had and here's a check for $40,000, okay? The very first thing that comes off that $40,000 check is a $4,000 check that comes and goes to the Lord. And you say, Lord, you've made this all possible. It's that simple. It's not hard. It's not even difficult arithmetic, right? We just don't want to do it half the time. When we don't do this, it is called robbery. It's called a thief. Now, I haven't done anything on the New Testament this morning, right? Going strictly off of Malachi. But if you want to go and go, well, Steve, you're just Old Testament, and that's not true because the New Testament is different, go read the New Testament. Have fun. See what it says. See if you come up with anything different. Okay? When we don't do this, God calls it robbery. We are thieves. You're a thief. I don't know how that sits you that... Right? There's very few things I do not want to be in. One of them I do not want to be is a thief. Okay? And the times in life when I have been a thief, I cringe. I'm like, why? It's just not in my character. So when we don't do it, it's called robbery. And then number five, this is equally important this morning... If you're here, if you're measuring this, you're weighing this, and you're saying, oh, what do I do about this? God says, test me in this. Test me in this. Actually do an actual test. And start honoring me by giving me the first and the best and by giving me a tithe. 
and see if I don't come through for you. God dares us to. By the way, he dares us in the New Testament as well, just in case you wanted to know. And what God says is this. He doesn't promise you all the riches in the world. He doesn't promise you a mansion. He doesn't promise you a brand new truck. He doesn't promise you any of that stuff. But what he will promise is that he will rebuke the devourer. Okay? Uh, we see this in our, our vehicles. Our vehicles have run forever. Okay? Uh, they, they're ridiculous. We have a Mazda that we bought for $3,000 and the thing won't die. Right? It just keeps running and running and running and running. It's gone from Kayla to McKenzie to Abby, and soon it will go to Matt. Okay? And he was all excited. He thought he was getting Grandma's new car. Now you get the Mazda. Oh! <laughs> Damage to the boy's ego, right? But the thing just runs, and, and God has ways of rebuking the devourer uh, financial devouring, possession devouring, health devouring. You ever thought about what it cost you in terms of your health? to withhold from God. There's a lot there. So think through those things this morning. If you want to go back over them, you can download them from... But that's the lesson of Malachi. Honor God. Do not rob from God. Give to God what is God's, like Jesus said, and then we'll go from there. All right? We're going to pray. So join me, would you? Father, thank you for this. Seal what needs to be sealed. And for... Us, thank you for those who do give sacrificially and generously, Lord. And for those who this is a real message to, encourage them. Encourage them in their faith. May they be blessed because they step and return to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.